Okay, welcome to another edition of the Culture Class Podcast, a podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and learn about other cultures. Uh, today we have Officer Sammy Wicks on the podcast. Uh, officer Wicks is a police officer with the Aurora Police Department. Um, he's been with the Aurora Police Department going on six years now. Uh, before that, he was in the Memphis Police Department for about five years. So he's been in law enforcement for the better part of of a decade or over a decade. So how's it going, officer? Good. Uh, thank you for having me this evening. Sure, most definitely. And uh, I just got a taste of your job there that before the interview, uh, we're scheduled to come on about 20 minutes ago, but you actually got like a 911 call and everything. <laughs> but I guess this is routine for you, but for someone like me, it's, it's not so routine. So I'm like... And unfortunately, it happens every time I'm supposed to do something. Something always causes me to be late. So I apologize. No, that's good. How, how, how many of those would you say you get in a typical day uh, working in Colorado compared to like Memphis? Um, I think there are different kinds of calls and some of it too, I think is because of what my role is here. So I would say this, we definitely have a lot more volume of violent crime, a lot more stabbing shootings, unfortunately. Um, and, and some of that is just related to, um, you know, some of the, the social stuff that's going on in Memphis uh, related to like, you know, um, high, high, super high levels of unemployment. Um, there's, there's just like a lot of structural issues in Memphis. Um, but I would say here, since I'm, I'm on our mental health team, um, generally when I respond to an emergency call, um, it's not for like the typical police calls. It's really more so for somebody that's in a mental health crisis. Um, but, you know, still, you know, might be some sort of danger to life involved in the situation. But uh, it, it depends. Uh, there, I, I would say on good days, I don't get any. Uh, maybe I'll get one uh, on, on bad days, obviously, because you don't want people to be in crisis. Sometimes I might get four or five in a day or six. Mm, interesting. Interesting. OK, let's talk about you growing up, because um, I guess growing up, depending on how you grew up, but take us through uh, you as a kid. Like, where did you grow up? How did you grow up? How was your interaction with like law enforcement growing up? And how did you even get to realize about that world of policing and everything? Yeah. Um, so I am originally from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, I was born there um, in a hospital that, that no, no longer exists there anymore. Uh, I lived at uh, Seventh Mile in Warren. Um, but uh, my both my mom and my dad are from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, so my mom was actually in nursing school in Detroit when she had me. Um, so after she finished school, uh, came back to Memphis. And I, I spent most of my life, life in Memphis as, as far as, like, as a child, like, growing up. Um, yeah, man, I think uh, I... I definitely like contacted the police at a very early age. I, I would say I've had like an abnormal route to becoming a police officer because for me, like I definitely grew up in a neighborhood where like the police were not welcome at all. So um, I, I just didn't really have a lot of positive interactions with police officers. Um, I, I, I mean, I, other than my uncle who ended up becoming a police officer when he got out of the military, um, I, I remember one specific person that I had a good relationship with and that was in high school and middle school because I played football with his son. Uh, so shout out to Officer Ross. Um, but but other than that, honestly, most of my experiences were pretty negative. Right. So was he like the major? Because I remember like I wanted to become an accountant when I was young because I had this, my dad's friend had the sports car, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, what does he do? Like he's an accountant. Like, I'm going to be an accountant. I 
something like what was the that motivating interaction uh was it your friend's dad or was it like another thing that made you ultimately like make that decision to join the Memphis Police Department I think it was a couple of things so I I definitely like I said I definitely grew up very distrustful of the police and I think that lasted until I was probably probably very close to when I started the academy uh so I was about 21 but I I, I would say um, my engagement with him at a very young age mattered because he was just like this really big dude, right? He was uh, like 6'5 or 6'6 and just extremely muscular, but the nicest person in the world. He was always respectful to us. He told us good morning. You know, we were doing stuff wrong at school or other people were doing stuff wrong. I mean, we would get escorted to the office or whatever, but he was never disrespectful to us. Um, So, I mean, I think that that stood out a lot. And he also looked like me. um, And I, you know, I Honestly, a lot of the interactions that I had with police growing up with, a lot of folks didn't look like me. There were a few that did. Um, so uh, I, I think it, I think it mattered a little bit. Uh, I think there was a little bit of a crack in my my belief that like, I mean, because because frankly, frankly, growing up, I thought all police were like awful, you know, terrible. Uh, I didn't want to have anything to do with them. Um, but I think that mattered. Um, I think. The second thing that was I had an uncle that I really looked up to uh, since I was a kid because I always thought I was going to be in the military. Um, and like he was like my uncle's one of my heroes because he was in the army. Um, he was this really intelligent dude. He was always dressed sharp. Um, you know, he just he always looked like he had his stuff together. Um, and when he got out of the military, he went to the police department and I was kind of like, oh, OK, you know, well, I, you know, my uncle's not a bad person. So I was like, you know, that's best. But then when I graduated from college and I uh, I I couldn't contract in the military because I had some vision issues at the time. Um, and I had been in ROTC in college. I remember talking to my uncle. I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do because I graduated and I was like working at a car wash in Memphis during the daytime. And at night I was working at a bar on Bill Street and I was just exhausted and I wasn't really making very much money. Um, and he was like, you should apply to the Memphis Police Department. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I'm not a police department. That's not happening. Uh, and then he, you know, he said it to me again. He said it to me again another weekend. And he was like, you know, hey, you know, uh, you know, maybe you can get your student loans forgiven. You'll get insurance. You get good benefits. He was like, just try it. If you don't like it, you can always quit. It's not like being in the military. And I, I don't know, I kind of thought about it and I was like, well, I guess I could just like, you know, apply and see what happened. Um, and I did that. And then I guess my next step was like, well, I could try the academy and see how it happens, see what happens. And it's been 10 years since then. Go, okay, let me just try this. Let me just try that. <laughs> and it's been going on for there. Well, you mentioned something earlier, like, you know, you had an uncle that looked like you. So it's, it just goes to show how important kind of like representation is. But let me ask you this, like a bunch of people might be listening to this, might be interested in joining the police department. We don't get a lot of black people who grew up wanting to be police officers and immigrants too, for that, uh, for that matter. But the process might have changed slightly from when you joined 10 years ago, but what was your process? I know typically it's like maybe six weeks in police training and then you shadow someone, you take some tests. Like what was that whole process of of joining the Memphis Police Department? So Memphis Police Department, I believe I went through the testing process. I did like, we had like a fitness test we had to do. So it was like a run, push-ups. Run for how long? Was it like a marathon or something or just like a quick sprint? Not not me, not me. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was, I think it was like a mile and a half. So when time wasn't like anything like too intense, I think they just like wanted to make sure that you like have a healthy heart, that kind of thing. Uh, past all that, they make you do like that. you take some tests, like decision-making tests, and then you take like a psychological evaluation. Um, I may be forgetting a few things, but like 
those are like the, the major ones. Like once you pass that, you go to the academy. And in Memphis, when you go to academy um, as a basic officer, I, I think it might have changed now, but at the time it was somewhere between 32 and 36 weeks. So it was almost half a year. Wow. That a long, long time. Interesting. 40 hours. Well, you get paid during that, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And and is it like, like when you're training for the Marines, you have to complete the training even if you're going to quit after or two weeks into it, you can say, look, this is not for me. I'm gone kind of thing. Yeah. So there's this, this really weird dynamic. I don't know if you've ever talked to a police before or police officer before and they talk about like police officers and civilians. Um, I've always thought that that's interesting because really like police officers are civilians. So like when you're in the military, it's different. Like even if you, so when you sign that contract, even if you decide that you don't want to do it anymore, you sign the contract. Like unless you do something to get kicked out or you get injured, um, you get disqualified, like you're, you're there. Um, in the police world, like uh, you go to the academy, if you decide you just don't want to do it the next day, then you can just quit and you don't have to show up anymore. Interesting. Let me ask you this. So I used to live in D.C., right? And I remember back then I used to go for a run in Georgetown, Georgetown University. They had like a Georgetown University sports complex, right? Uh, so I used to go for a run around that track every morning. And I think it was Metro PD or whatever the D.C. police is called. They had like some recruits would come to train there. And, you know, they'll come do like the endurance run and all that stuff. Uh, you could tell that, that there were like uniformed police officers there, but a lot of those guys were on whites and they were wearing like shorts and doing their basic police training. Like I could already tell, like these guys were in police training, but they were like two guys who were like assholes. Like they weren't even officers yet. They were just going through training and they would like run on the track and like tell everyone to like get out of the way or, you know, you know, do the things that police are like, what the hell you guys haven't even been commissioned yet? Like what the hell? So I asked that to say, like when you are going through police training, your cohort or, you know, your, your group of officers are trained together. Who are the type of people where they're like people who worked at car washes and bars, people who like graduated from college trying to figure it out. Who are those type of people who decided that, hey, you know what? I want to become a police officer 10 years ago. It's, it's so weird, man. You get like this group of people together and like, especially in my academy of class in Memphis, I think we started with like 60 or 70 people. Like it's, they're, they're pretty big classes at the time. Um, but it's really interesting because you get people that are like, like legacy police officers, right? Like their whole family is like nothing but cops. Uh, maybe even at the agency where they're, they're trying out at. or they went to a different city because they wanted to get out of their family member's shadow, right? Then you have, you know, you have other folks that show up that like their family has been on the other side of the law, like almost their entire family. And for whatever reason, they just decided they wanted to get in law enforcement. You get, you, and, it, and it depends on the, the agency and what they require, but you get college grads, you get folks that have never went to college, you get folks that are carpenters, electricians, um, folks that are single parents, uh, stay-at-home moms. Like you just, you just get such a mix of people. It's kind of weird. Everybody, I mean, when you ask people why they joined the police department, and this is anecdotal, right? Just for me, like being in two different agencies, you get a lot of different reasons. Like some people will straight up say, hey, the benefits are great, or this is going to help me feed my family. It's a stable career. Some people will tell you they're looking for excitement. Some people will tell you they want to help people. And, you know, you were talking about those two people um, that you engage with on the track. I do think you get people sometimes too that just want the authority. Um, I don't know that it's pretty, but I mean, you see it. Yeah, I mean, some people might argue that that's majority of people who join the police department because why? Or, or let me ask you this: like, how many of those people who seem normal, right? Because I went through some type of training in the banking world, right, and I could tell, like, nine years later, X years later, that all of us who are like going through this management leadership program in X bank is just a whole totally different set of people. A lot of people had like you know bright eyes and you know wanted to do this and do that and change the system and do all these things, but 
10 years later, it'll be like, man, whatever, you know, how much of that change have you seen? Like, have you seen a bunch of your, um, I guess, like cohort mates who like the fire has died in your eyes or they've just been like, it is what it is. And they're just like in this constant system, which is kind of like different police department and just like living day to day, like like a robot kind of thing. I think you get a lot of people for sure. They come in like very much thinking like it's a mix of things. They're like, oh, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to save the world. Right. Which is also kind of setting yourself up for failure. Um, Like I feel like any situation with a savior complex, it's never really a good look. Um, I think some of it, too, is folks go in with good intentions. They do want to go help people. um, But then. I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's not. But it's like every time like I meet a rookie, I can tell when they have their first night that some person that they talk to that they trust lied to them. And it's like they're over with. And they're like, God, I can't trust anybody ever again. And I think sometimes it comes to how people bounce back from those. Like it's it's learning that like every person that you engage with um, is complex, right? So even though they may lie to you and they seem trustworthy in the moment and it may cause you to be in your feelings in the moment, there's a lot of reasons why that person may be not being completely honest with you, right? They just afraid of you as an authority figure. They may have had bad experiences in the past. They may not know what your intentions are, or maybe they did do something, uh, but that's not a reflection of everybody in the in the community, right? Um, and then, like I said, it's complex. Like, everybody has different reasons why they do things. I think the people who don't um, get um, burnt out or don't feel like, you know, everyone is, you know, just doing awful things in the world are the folks that kind of learn that, that, that balance, right? Learn that like, hey, we're in a job where we're exposed to people that are doing certain things and it's not really a reflection of the entire society or even everybody in this neighborhood that we police. Got it. Got it. Okay. Let, let's talk about as, as much as we can talk about, man. I mean, no trade secrets or anything like that, but what's your typical day like? I know you talked about, hey, you know, some days you might get no call. Uh, some days it's like, you know, four to five calls, but given the departments you worked, I mean, you worked in crisis response. Now you're kind of like working in targeted violence prevention. First and foremost, what is crisis response? What is targeted violence re- uh, prevention? And how does your typical day start? Is it like you, you get to the office at 6 a.m., get your squad car, and you have a post you're supposed to drive to and wait for calls? How does that whole thing work? So uh, Aurora's crisis response team um, is our co-responder team, and it's a police co-responder model. Um, the reason I say that is because there are a couple different models. So sometimes you have like um, a co-responder model where you have a mental health professional who's partnered with a paramedic and they go out and they respond to crisis calls and they do like uh, outreach work for uh, folks that are, are, you know, homeless and unhoused um, street outreach. Um our team is uh, crisis intervention trained officers who are partnered with mental health professionals. Um, so when I say intervention trained officers or CIT officers, I'm talking about officers that have uh, generally baseline 40 hours of specialized training and learning to like observe what the behavioral indicators are uh, that a person's in a mental health crisis or a substance induced crisis. Um, and then having the ability to use verbal de-escalation, use space, body language, time, uh, really to calm situations down and to try to help a person come out of crisis and then just try to connect them to appropriate resources. So that's like that's like the model of what our team is. Um, I would say as a CRT unit, like we're, we're assigned to the entire city. We don't have like one police district that we respond to. So when I sign on, especially when I was just doing CRT work, um, I pretty much hit the ground running. Like I, I get out, get my car, get it loaded up. I get myself some coffee, make sure I have like, you know, all of my tools that I need. Like, cause I like to, I like to keep little food stuff in my car for people. Cause sometimes it helps people calm down. Uh, honestly, cigarettes are great when people are in crisis a lot of the time. I make sure I, I just start answering calls. 
um, just trying to trying to be helpful, putting myself out there. Um, and but, this is just you learning from your environment. This is not like a departmental procedure or anything. No, this I some of this is from I, I learned that stuff, man, in Memphis because I was I was a CIT officer there. So I've been a CIT officer pretty much my whole police career. Uh, but I've just been on this co-responder team now for I guess almost three years. But um, no, I, I learned that stuff in Memphis. Um, some of some of the basics of like CIT work. Um, but but yeah, I mean that's that's generally what the day looks like. I would say that like as a CIT CRT officer, my days were busier than they are now doing targeted violence prevention as far as calls. Um, so like on busy days, especially when I was working evening shifts, I'd get sometimes eight to 10 calls. Um, but it's different because on patrol, even here, like you might get 12 to 15 calls. Um, and it's different because like um, when you're in CRT, you can spend a lot more time on your calls because, you know, when you're trying to help somebody through a crisis, it might take three hours. Versus, oh, you got 30 calls holding. You kind of just got to do what you can do in the moment and collect as much information as you can and then move on to the next thing. So it's really a different pace. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. And you talked about, like, before I ask you, like, some of the miscon public misconceptions of the police, uh, let me ask you, being in crisis response, like, what's the one surprising thing that you can never forget that it was something you got a routine call, you got there and shit just hit the fan. Like it was not what you were expecting at all. Like was a very, I don't know what the word, whether I can use hostile or, or something like that. Like, can, can you give us any of your experiences like that? Yeah, man. I think, uh, I think one thing is that just like, you have to be, you have to be like very culturally sensitive, I think. Um, and like all kinds of people have all kinds of cultures. Right. Um, but like being cognizant of that sometimes means that you do things a little differently than you normally would. Like as long as it's safe, um, you know, without like identifying them. I There was a, a Sudanese family um, here that I used to respond to their house sometimes because they had uh, one of their one of their children um, was born here in the U.S. And they just had some very different opinions on like what her life should look like here that caused some clashes but she also has some mental health issues um but i remember the crazy thing was even though there was like this like like sort of difference in in like the culture that they had but like even within this family um like one way that i will always get everybody to calm down is be like hey can we go sit in your kitchen and like have tea um and we like sit in a circle and like immediately at least for like 10 or 15 minutes things would calm down and we could kind of talk and just kind of go around Interesting. And that co that co-response model, like, is that something particular to Aurora or Colorado or tons of other police departments across the country also implement that where you have like mental health professionals and other, you know, people in the community kind of like responding with the police? It's becoming more more common. Um, they look a little different in different places. So like Larimer County here in Colorado has a similar model, but they also have like a peer specialist. So someone who's, you know, has the lived experience of, you know, dealing with mental health challenges who can go out and talk to a person and talk them through it as somebody who's experienced it. Okay. So what are the things, if I want to join the police department, would you say there are certain things I should look for? Because in Colorado, for instance, you can have a bunch of police departments, right? You can have Denver PD, Aurora PD, Larimer, all these police departments. Um, I mean, I don't have to live in Aurora to be in uh, Aurora PD. I can live in Denver and be in Aurora PD. But what are some of the things you would encourage people to look out for? Is there any type of research you think can help that, oh, you know, look out for the police departments are, you know, more diverse or police department that have this program in place or that program in place, or it's pretty much, hey, you know what? No department is perfect. Kind of like make the best of it or something. No, I mean, I think I, I 
you know, I think like we're, we're all of like a different generation than our parents are. So like we have different out of work in our work environment. So I really kind of struggle having a hard time telling somebody to just like make the best of wherever you go. If you can kind of like figure out what you're looking for and look at what your options are, but like, yeah, for sure. Like apply to several different places, but see what you're interested in. So what I tell people is smaller departments or like mid-sized departments, it can be easier to, to get special assignments faster. Whereas when you have a huge department that's 2000 people, I mean, it's hard for anybody for you to sort of differentiate yourself from other people and show, your, show people that you're a good candidate for a special position. Um, so sometimes you have to look at the size. I think you also have to look at what, like if you want to do specific work within public safety, like look at what each agency offers. So I tell people like all the time, I have people tell me like, I, I never want to be a police officer. Like, I don't want to just be out like arresting. I was like, well, you know, the interesting thing is not just in Colorado nationwide, like people are looking at public safety very different. So like even what I do right now wouldn't have been a thing like several years ago uh, in a lot of places. But I, I, I view like public wellness uh, from that lens um, and, and, and access to, to resources as a public safety issue. Right. Um, so I think you can be really flexible about what that looks like. Um, but you have to figure out what each agency offers. I also tell and, people. And is, this, is this all like public information? You can just go research uh, the makeup of a department or an agency, that kind of thing. Yeah, you generally can go to the website of whatever the police agency is and you can and if not, you can go to that city's website or the county and you should be able to find out like how many officers the agency has. You can also see like what specialized units they have. Um, one way to do it, too, is like, let's say you live in a city and you want to look at the city's budget for police funding. Those lines tell you like what it goes to. Does it go to SWAT? Does it go to K-9? Does it go to, you know, what have you? So there are a lot of different ways to find that information. Honestly, if people are interested too, and they're already like um, calling like recruiters and that kind of stuff or sending them emails, just, I mean, these are questions that you should ask. Like you need to know, you need to know everything about the place that you're potentially going to work at, if that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, you mentioned special assignment. Like, what is that like a special assignment? Traditionally in law enforcement, like our, our first level response is like the patrol officer. That's like, you know, that's the person that for the most part, like in the blue uniform, if you work in a place that has blue uniforms or black uniforms or, or the brown uniforms, it kind of depends on what the agency is. Um, that's just out doing like normal patrol functions. So like when you call 911, that's generally the officer that shows up to your house. Um, unless you get like a traffic unit there because it's uh, some sort of complex accident. Um, it's usually a patrol officer that deals with simple accidents, burglaries, um, petty thefts. Um, just, I mean, patrol officers have to know how to do a bunch of stuff. They respond to everything. Um, so when I say specialized units, I'm generally talking like, you know, Canine officers, SWAT officers, um, intelligence officers, um, officers that are in fugitive task forces, um, officers that, you know, are in investigations uh, roles. Um, it's really just kind of, it's pretty diverse. It depends on the size of the agency and what they offer. Like in a place that has water, like when I was in Memphis, like we had a uh, we had police that like their assignment was to be on the river every day. Um, and we obviously have like helicopter operators in some cities, that kind of thing. It just depends. That makes sense. What are some of like the misconceptions of policing? Like everyone gets their, most of their information, like from pop culture, social media. So our restaurant police is like, hey, you know, each police has a partner. You know, uh, you go out into the city, you break some balls, you, you know, shoot the shit, like eat donuts, drink beer at the end of the day, and like call it a day. <laughs> That's it. What are some of like the major misconceptions 
misconception. We say, okay, police is represented this way in NCIS or NYPD Blue, all these shows. And it's not necessarily the same thing. Like when you were growing up, you thought they did this, but when you became a police officer, it, it was totally different kind of thing. I, I, I cannot speak for the Royal Police Department, but I as one as an individual love donuts. So there's there's that. I throw that out there. Okay. Uh, I think I think most people like donuts. So um, but I mean, as it relates to the other stuff, I think um, I don't know, like obviously like incidents happen right in the country and like things get caught on camera where you have officers that, you know, um, you know, or speak really disrespectfully to people or, or that kind of thing. But like um, I, I, what I try to remind people is and this is not to let like um, bad behavior or, or um, you know, criminal behavior that officers may engage in go. That, that's a completely separate thing. But your average officer is an average person. Right. This is just that they do. Um Sometimes four days a week, three days a week. It depends on the department, right? So, like, the same stuff that, like, everybody else likes to do, officers like to do. Like, you have, you know, you have officers that are Republicans, officers that are Democrats. Um, you have officers that are vegans, officers that, you know, barbecue every weekend. You know, we have officers from countries all over the world, especially in America, you know. Um, you, you really you really get a mix. Um, I don't know. I, one thing that gets me, and I like to talk to, like, citizens groups about this so that they know, so it doesn't cause a confrontation. Like when you were talking about those police shows, when you watch a police show, it's like every time a police officer talks to somebody, they're reading them their Miranda rights. We absolutely don't do that. Like, <laughs> I don't, I never show up to somebody and say, you have the right to hey, remain silent. You know what I mean? Um, and turn you'll be. <laughs> right, right. And right. I, you know what? We laugh about it. And I think it's really important too, because like one thing I've noticed is that sometimes um, it's, it's like, you know, with anything else, like there's misinformation out there with COVID, like all kinds of stuff. Um, and when people really latch on to that better, then they think they're being mistreated because somebody's not reading them their rights when all they're doing is issuing them a ticket. And it can cause verbal conflict, right? And sometimes that stuff escalates and there's never want any of that stuff to happen, right? Um, I think I think one thing that we could do better, um, and and there are there are some community groups like in different places in the country that do a good job of actually explaining to people what their rights are. But there's a lot of people too on the internet, like on TikTok, explaining to people what their rights are, and they're giving people completely bad information. Information, right? Yeah, the TikTok information. I mean, the TikTok generation is like information overload. There's so much information out there right now. But if you are not careful and you just download your information from one person, it might just be you know all over the place. That's what the I guess the newspapers and the news organizations are saying, you know, fake news, get your news from credible news sources and blah, 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 things like that. But, you know, I'm an immigrant, so I didn't really realize that police officers are allowed to be Democrats or Republicans. Are you saying police officers vote? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know yeah, that. I, it's, it's just like any other, you know, any other profession. Like, you know, we have to be, be allowed to vote legally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just like being in the military. You know, those folks get to cast their vote even when they're deployed. So I didn't know that. So, you know, I'm Nigerian, right? I mean, I've been in the U.S. for like five years now. And there's been this argument for state policing back home in Nigeria for like 10 years now. They would say, look, the police, they, we just have one police, the Nigerian police force. So when you join the police, they can post you to different states and each state has a police barracks. Like, it's not like America where the police, you can buy a house and your next door neighbor is a dentist or whatever. It's like all the police officers live in the police barracks. So people argue that, hey, it's made the police so desensitized that, hey, we have one federal, huge federal police force, you know, talking about local police department with 2,000 people. Like, we have like police for like 50,000 people. Like, deploy them to all these barracks. They live amongst each other. It's like the blue wall of silence or black wall of silence. And they're like, 
look, make the state policing, let each state have their police department and like, let make do away with all these police barracks, let the police live amongst the people and then it will take them closer to the community. Well, my argument is that that's what's in play in the U.S. It hasn't made policing better. It's not like the U.S. police force is better than the Nigerian police force, maybe in equipment and tactics and things like that. But we still have the same animosity towards like police force as we do. Like, what do you think the police can do to make things better because I'm sure everyone is aware of the problem. Like the police know that a lot of people don't like them in the community. I mean, you said it yourself, like while while growing up, like what are some of the things you think that can be implemented? I know you do a lot of things like personally, things as simple as, you know, carrying a cigarette. In fact, the way we met was at, at a community event. I was volunteering at an event for domestic violence here in Colorado and you gave a talk there. So I was like, okay, let's get on the podcast together. Like if we know all these issues, then why are there still issues? And why do you think we haven't, you know, taken a step to solve some of these issues like structurally? See, and, it, and you bring up a really good point, right? So when you were talking about like the um, the Nigerian police force being like a federal police force. So I, I frequently hear from community members and other officers here too is like, you know, um, like I don't know what the expectation is when I engage with you as a police officer, as far as like what the service is going to look like. And one thing that I tell people is like, part of that has to do with like, you have different individuals that you're engaging with who are police officers. But a lot of it has to do with when you go to a different place, like a different city or a different county, have completely different procedures. They have completely different training curriculum, um, completely different equipment a lot of the times. Um, there's not like there's a federal standard that U.S. police officers go by when it goes to like procedures for, you know, arrest control or de-escalation tactics or like what kind of equipment we carry. Like it's very different depending on where you live and what the agency is and what that what that agency and that local government have decided that they want in place. And that's that's a real challenge, too, um, because when you talk about like changing systems, um, I always think about this kind of systems and institutions to me are kind of like are kind of like like a tree. Right. So like if you try to yank a tree out of the ground um, by the like by the roots, the likelihood is you're not going to be able to pull a tree up out of the ground, especially once it's been there for 100 years. Right. It's got a ton of rings. The roots are super long. They're going in all different directions. So what people try to do sometimes is try to chop different pieces off and reshape the tree. Because they know they have to keep the tree, right? But they want it to fit better and um, be stable and be safe in their yard. Well, the problem is, you know, in the past few years, like for all of us that are doing community outreach, what we hear from people is like, well, we've been doing a lot of cosmetic changes, but, you know, we don't feel like we're, we're getting like that we're asking for, right? And so when you talk about systemic change, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Um, it's really interesting in the city of Aurora, right, because you have um, our, our, our chief's office has created this um, new initiative with the city manager, I believe. It's called like a new way. And it's got several different tiers to it. And, and I think folks can tell there's been a lot of different responses to it. It's not, not my place to comment on, but. There's definitely been a push for more transparency, right? So when things do happen, like information is put out immediately in the media, right? There, there is, there's a request for a systemic change and there's an effort to do it. But what I tell people is when things have been fossilized and institutionalized and been there for a long time, it can take quite a bit of time for that to happen as well. Yeah, and that's not me trying to silence people. It's just trying to give people realistic expectations as well, um, because I, I, I mean, I know what it is, uh, right? So when you when you are desperately asking for something to change, 
like one of the things that can sap all of your energy is when you're working so hard and it seems like you're starting to get some concessions, but it doesn't, it just, it feels like it's moving like this, right? So I just like to tell people that on the front end, I think it's super important so that people don't lose energy, right? I'm, I'm never going to tell community members that they shouldn't go talk to council members, go talk to chiefs of police and say that they want this to happen or that to happen or this to happen. I like guess my only thing is just like, we have to be very realistic about the structures that we're talking about. Right. I mean, but some people believe like, hey, you know, fine, you might want to be realistic, but hey, you have to ask for 100 to get 20 or 30. Like if you ask for 20, you might end up getting one, <laughs> you know, so you have to be as unrealistic as possible. So at least you can get some things done. Um, OK, you mentioned that uh, a lot of different police departments have different, you know, regulations or, you know, things like that, tactics, bringing it home locally. Um, obviously, you can't speak for the Aurora, Aurora Police Department. You're not the chief of police. Um, transparency is a way to start. Uh, and obviously, we can't talk about like the whole Elijah McClain situation because it's still an open case. But say post Elijah McClain, like we always have a bunch of citizens groups, whether that's not for profits or things like that, trying to interact with the police. What are ways you've seen, uh, in your personal opinion, that you've seen the Aurora Police Department reaching out to members of the community? Are there particular programs that the um, citizens need to be aware about that, that have happened post-2019 in order to address some of these issues? Yeah, so one of the one of those new initiatives out of the new way was the building of a community resource section, which actually is, I mean, is led by a civilian um, on the police department who reports directly to the chief. So I actually think that that unit is really interesting because they've been doing a lot of different things, right? They've been engaging with faith-based community groups, affinity-based community, uh, community groups. Um, they recently hosted this like two or three day event called Faith in Blue. It's like one of those programs, I think that's like, uh, it's like National Night Out. Like it's sort of a national program that comes out in like local iterations, right? So you get to like kind of structure it for your locale. Um, they just created this really cool, um, it's like a truck. It's got like a bunch of like TVs and stuff inside of it and refrigerators. Like it's like a safe space for kids to hang out in. It's like got gaming platforms. I think that they're they're planning on like getting that out into the community a lot more. Um, and I know that people sometimes say, hey, you know, it's great that you guys want to engage with kids, but we want you to engage with everybody. And I, I think that that's super important too. But I still think that like engaging with youth matter. Uh, because I, I think not just police officers, I think that like a lot of times communities just ignore, you know, ignore young people and don't give young people credit for how aware they are of their surroundings and the world around them. So, I mean, I, I think those folks need to be engaged, too, which is also interesting, too, because the chief has a youth advisory council as well that she's been engaging with on a regular basis. And it's a bunch of young people that are essentially they've been chosen. They're leaders. They're engaged in service products, but they're also consulting with the chief about like policy issues which is really cool. Like, I think the youth empowerment piece is, is really important. It's needed. And that's, that's one, you know, one of the ways they've been engaging with community members. Um, the other thing that's been going on for a long time, and I think that the new community resource section, and I think it's, it's going to happen too because the chief wants it to happen. I think it's going to formalize some of these relationships, but there's like officers like myself and others that like have relationships with specific like like, you know, ethnic communities um, in the city. We've been engaging with them for years, right? And well, one thing that we've always been begging for for the past few years is like, let's formalize these relationships between these community groups and the department, right? Um, like we need, we want more officers to engage with these folks um, to become familiar, right? I heard something really interesting. This lady, a, a few days ago, I was at this event and she was from some group that like works with immigrants and refugees. And she was saying like, we need to get to a point where we celebrate the differences that other people have. And, and I, 
important. Like that's 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 the kind of like interaction that we need to have as a police department with community members, not just getting to a point where we tolerate people from other places that are our new neighbors, but also that we're celebrating because we also have a bunch of people on this department, too, that people actually aren't aware of. And, you know, I, I want them to be celebrated, too, in their culture and their heritage and their ideas. Facts. I mean, that's the purpose of this podcast, to learn to learn from people from diverse backgrounds. I mean, we've been able to interact with cultures from like 53 countries so far. So it's been a huge learning uh, process for me, particularly. In fact, I think today is Diwali, right? Like happy Diwali to all our Indian listeners. So there is that, like when you celebrate like differences, it does help. And there's something there, like one thing is, is that this podcast has done has really opened my eyes to a bunch of cultures. So it's not just me tolerating, it's me getting value from those cultures to even like better my own situation. So, so that's what it is. Um, but yeah, let's talk about, I mean, um, a lot of people, I mean, there, there, there's been all over the news that, hey, police-civilian interactions can be better. We've had cases all, all over the U.S. culminating in the George Floyd situation, obviously, uh, last night. Um, last year. Um, so let's not focus on like police to civilian interaction. Let's focus on civilian to police interactions. Like in your opinion, I mean, I was just given like a speeding ticket like two weeks ago or something. I was driving to the airport. And because that was my first speeding ticket, I've just been in the US for five years. Like because of everything I've seen in the media, I was nervous as hell. I was like two hands on the wheel. Like <laughs> this dude, like I'm black, his white. What's going to happen? Like obviously police should not abuse their power. Like nearly on someone's neck for eight minutes is like beyond reproach, right? But as a civilian, what are ways where there's a heightened situation, there's noise all over the place, a police officer shows up? What do you think would help to de-escalate a situation from our side, even though we know that the police has a responsibility as well? Yeah, you know, and, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to caveat with the fact that I don't, I mean, I don't think that most at least I can speak for like most of the people that I've worked with in the two agencies I've worked at, which is a lot of, um, I don't think that they react to some of these ways, but I guess what I, what I tell people is like when you're on the side of the road and you get pulled over by that police officer, right. It's really you and that person there. So you can't, I mean, there, there, there is no third party, right. To, uh, to, um, really like make sure that the communication between the two of you goes well, right? To be like an uninvolved person. So what I always tell people is, and people probably hear this all the time, is like, yeah, I do want you to be respectful. I don't need you to suck up. Even if the person asks you to do something that you don't want to do then in the moment, it's usually best to do it. And you can definitely ask people questions. But I mean, let's just face facts. Like you're dealing with a person that's in a position of power. And if you feel like maybe, you know, maybe this person feels like they're, they're, they have an attitude in the moment, it's best to not try to get into a shouting match with them, right? Because one thing that you can always do, and this is like reminding people of what their power, power is as citizens, like if you're having an interaction with an officer and you don't like it, you can call 911 if you if you had want to afterwards or the non You can call 911 on an officer. What about the blue wall of silence? Now, what happens with that? Excuse, excuse me, the non non emergency number. Non-emergency. Unless unless like it is an emergency, because I can't I can't really tell somebody what an emergency is because I don't know what the engagement might look like. But you can call the non emergency number and say, "Hey, I want to talk to a supervisor." I was just stopped at this location. Um, I dealt with officer, whatever, because we should always have our names posted on our uniforms, right? Or you can tell us to give a, because in, in Colorado, if we engage with you, we have to give you a business card. All you have to do is ask us for it. So we give us your name, give us our ID number. Like if the officer runs out of uh, business cards and he says, oh, I don't have one, just get him to write down his name and uh, his badge number. And then you can call in and say, I want to talk to a supervisor about the interaction I have. Um, it, it happens a lot, right? Like that is your right as a citizen. It's better to do that than to get into a, a shouting match or altercation with that person there. Um, 
I'm not telling people that they have to, you know, be disrespected, but I think that there are sometimes smarter ways of dealing with stuff. Because, I mean, obviously, if if every officer was perfect and respectful, we wouldn't have situations where officers get fired and get arrested. Right. So it happened. And, there, and there's a, I think that there's a way to deal with it in those situations. I mean, this this is to me like me talking to you as as one black man to another, because I had these conversations with a lot of young black men the past two years. Like folks would stop me or they'd say, hey, can you come talk to my son at the precinct uh, on whatever day? And like talk to him about engagement with the police, because there are a lot of people that are afraid of the police, for sure. And maybe even more so in the past last two years. Um, I'm never going to promise somebody that they won't engage with somebody, engage with someone who is, you know, that, that is not rude and it is not a, not a good person. Um, but like I said, like there, there's a way to, to you know, deescalate that situation before it can, can get to that level. And just like, like I said, man, you, you, you have the right to complain on anybody you want to. Right. I mean, it's, it's one thing with citizens, you know, holding, holding police officers accountable, like calling supervisors and city boards and all that stuff. But amongst each other, like, you know, like I said, again, you know, this code of, you know, um, we both, it's like in the military, like we both understand what we're going through. Like we never snitch on each other or like, how do fellow officers hold their fellow officers? Are they, are fellow officers empowered by the department to hold other officers accountable or it's like hey if you speak up against your colleague then you be- become like a, a cancer in the in the department and every, everyone kind of like looks at you sideways that hey you, you want to get your colleague in trouble like uh, how do we solve that yeah man i think that i think it depends right so um i it's definitely at least in some locations because every place is different like every police agency has its own culture um I see I see some of that changing. And some of that is because in Colorado, like there's been a law that's put in place that says that if you see somebody that is, you know, using excessive force or doing something illegal, then you shall intervene. Right. The law is forcing you to do that. And if you don't, then you're alive. So there's some change there. Um, I, I would say the department department is starting to empower people to do that as well. Right. Some of that is because they're like starting to put out like bystander training. Bystander po- training. Yeah. And like putting policies in place where like, let's say that you see an officer is getting like really escalated emotionally in the situation. The What the policy essentially says is once you observe that, tap that person out and then you, you start engaging with that citizen and dealing with whatever that interaction is. Having that person that's for whatever reason is emotionally escalated, just like taking them out of that situation. Right. Um, because you got to think about it, like as as police officers, we have a lot of power, right? We have the power to arrest people and take their freedom. Uh, to to some extent, in certain situations, like the law gives us authority to use deadly force as well. Um, I would say the difference, though, is that um, when we're talking about just dealing with like you know, the average citizen, like we sometimes get upset too. Uh, we need somebody to pull us back. They don't necessarily have as much authority to to make. I mean to really make a miscalculation and make a, a bad, bad mistake because they're in a bad emotional space. So the department has put stuff in place to prevent some of that stuff from happening. Got it. Got it. Okay. Officer Wicks, uh, before I let you go, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast again, how do you relax as a police officer? I mean, um, like, what do you, what do you do in your pastime? What, are, are there vices you miss <laughs> from when you're a civilian that you can necessarily partake in? I mean, we live in Colorado, but <laughs> that you can't necessarily partake as an officer, but what do you do to kind of like unwind and stuff? I know I live in Colorado, but I don't do that. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> that, that's strange. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, not, not, not that. Well, that's uh, that's definitely not allowed. Um, but um, all joking aside, I would say for me, man, I'm just like a huge foodie. I love food. Um, I love all different kinds of food from different places. Um, I like, I love like sitting down with friends and having meals. Um, so that's like a big thing for me. Like I try to get friends together and we go to like different restaurants. Um, 
just hanging out around people that I like to be around. Uh, I'm definitely a huge nerd as well. So like I'm I'm definitely somebody when I'm off work, like watching anime or watching Marvel movies, comic books. So that stuff is a nice escape for me. Nice, nice. Well, good to know that you indulge in some of the things that we do too. Like some of our listeners, at least you can relate to that. I know that when you're interacting with police officers, they are humans too. We do have a bunch of bad eggs out there, but uh, some of them like Officer Weeks who takes that uh, initiative to interact with the community, they deserve, you know, reciprocity in that in that regard. But you know, one thing I've always been thinking about is the Culture Class Food Festival. It's like if I ever get the chance or sponsorship to organize a festival, it'll be a food festival of food from different parts the world. So I'll bring my folks from Pakistan, my folks from Nepal, my folks from Ghana. We'll just have like different tables with all bunch of food and people just sampling different stuff and, and, and stuff like that. So maybe you being a foodie, like if I ever get that off the ground, maybe you'd be one person that I reach out to to make that happen. But yeah, man, fight me. I will help you make that happen just so I can eat. <laughs> right, right. You'll be on the tasting committee. <laughs> it's all good. But thank you again for coming on the podcast and sharing your insights from someone who is currently a police officer. You're, you're having this interview in your squad car. Uh, is there anything you want to put out there for um, this podcast is being listened to by primarily immigrants and people who are interested in like world cultures and things like that? Is there anything you want to put out there uh, either, you know, for the audience about interaction with police or to fellow police officers or things like that? Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I've been preaching this for, uh, I guess, the past three or four years now. I think it really is about um, embracing the diversity, right? So you talked about how important it was to have representation. Like, I've definitely seen times where, like, folks are just like their mood changes because I show up and I look like them. Um, that's not always the case, but I think it helps sometimes. Um, I think that 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 equity piece is also important, too. So like how we go out and treat people in the community, do we give them the same type of service, um, give them good service? Right. They have make sure they have access to the same rights. Um, That's also super important to me, too. And I even think that it's important within the agency. Right. Um, And one thing that I tell people is that you can't get people who look like you in places of leadership without having those people also be involved as well. Right. So. I definitely got into law enforcement, not thinking that I would want to do this. Um, I've definitely been a person that's been a little bit of a a good troublemaker. Like I've had like, you know, um, brought in some new programs, been able to work with some people and get some policies changed, like our grooming standards, which was one of the things like when we did a lot of recruitment was keeping like some of our more diverse candidates from even applying. But I I think you have to be there like at at the play, if that makes sense. Um, And that's that's no shade on the folks who are trying to make things happen from outside the system, I think it kind of takes both. Got it. Got it. Well, thank you so much, Officer Wicks, again. And we wish you all the best. And we'll definitely be in touch uh, now that at least uh, the Culture Class podcast has some connection to the Aurora Police Department. Like if there's anything we can do for our listeners, also send us messages uh, if you want Officer Wicks to answer some particular questions or need advice on certain things, we can definitely put you in touch. So thanks again for coming on the interview and wish you a great weekend. Thank you so much, brother.